Chapter Twenty Nine of In the Pecos Country by Edward Ellis. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Nine A Mystery. O'Rooney stood with rifle grasped while young Munson ran toward him from the center of the cave, exclaiming in his excited tones, "'There's another man back yonder. I saw him and spoke to him.' "'Did you ax him anything, and did he make a sensible reply?' demanded the Irishman, whose concern was by no means equal to that of the lad. "'He made no answer at all, nor did he seem to take any notice of me.' "'Maybe it's a ghost walking round the cave on the same errand as myself. "'But whist now, where is he that I may go and ax him the state of his health?' The lad turned to lead the way, while Mickey followed close at his heels, his gun ready to be used at an instant warning, while Fred kept glancing over his shoulder to make sure that his friend was not falling too far in the rear. It seemed that while the man was engaged in his exploration, the lad had ventured upon a little prowling expedition of his own. During this he made the startling discovery that someone else was in the cave, and he dashed off at once to notify his friend and guide. Fred walked some distance further, still holding the torch above his head and peering into the gloom ahead and on either hand, as though in doubt as to whether he was on the right track or not. All at once he stopped with a start of surprise, and pointing some distance ahead and upon the ground, said, "'There he is!' Following the direction indicated, Mickey saw the figure of a man stretched out upon the ground, face downward as though asleep. "'You ain't afeard of a did, Spalpeen,' demanded Mickey with a laugh. "'You might have knowed from his style that he's as did as poor Thompson was when Lone Wolf made a call on him.' "'How do you know he's dead?' asked Fred, whose terror was not lessened by the word of his friend. "'Cause he couldn't have stretched out that way and kept it up all the time we've been fooling round here. If you entertain any doubt, I'll prove it. Let me have your torch.' Taking it from the lad's trembling hand, he walked to the figure, stooped down, and, taking it by the shoulder, turned it over upon its back. The result was rather startling even to such a brave man as Mickey. It was not a dead man which the two looked down upon, but practically a skeleton, the remains of an individual who perhaps had been dead for years. Some strange property of the air had desiccated the flesh, leaving the face bare and staring, while the garments seemed scarcely the worse for their long exposure. Another noticeable feature was the fact that the clothing of the remains showed that not only was he a white man, but also that he was not a hunter or frontier character such as were about the only ones found in that section of the country. The coat, vest, and trousers were of fine dark cloth. The boots were of thin superior leather. The cap was gone. It was just such a dress as is encountered every day in our public streets. Mickey O'Rooney contemplated the figure for a time in silence. He was surprised and puzzled. Where could this person have come from? There was nothing about his dress to show that he belonged to the military service, else it might have been supposed that he was some officer who had wandered away from his post and had been caught in the same fashion as had the man and boy. "'Are there any more around here?' asked Mickey, in a subdued tone, peering off into the gloom. 
Fred passed slowly round in a circle, gradually widening out until he had passed over quite an area, but without discovering anything further. "'There isn't anyone else near us. If there is, he's in some other part of the cave.' "'How came you to find this fellow?' "'I was walking along, never thinking of anything of the kind, when I came near stepping upon the body. I was never more scared in my life.' "'That's the way with some of yous. You're more affrighted at a dead man than a live one. Let's see whether he has left anything that you can identify him by.' Upon examining further, a silver-mounted revolver was found beneath the body. It was untarnished and seemingly as good as the day it was completed. When Mickey came to look at it more closely, he found that only one barrel had been discharged, all the others being loaded. This fact aroused a suspicion, and looking again at the head, a round hole such as would have been made only by a bullet was found in the very center of the forehead. There could be but little doubt, then, that this man, whoever he was, had wandered about the cavern until famished and despairing of any escape, had deliberately sent himself out of the world by means of the weapon at his command. But who was he? Laying the handsome pistol aside, Mickey continued the search, anxious to find something that would throw light upon the history of the man. It was probable that he had a rifle, but it was not to be found, and perhaps had vanished, as had that of Fred Munson. It was more likely that something could be found in his pockets that would throw some light upon the question, and the Irishman, having undertaken the job, went through it to the end. It was not the pleasantest occupation in the world to ransack the clothing of a skeleton, and he who was doing it could not help reflecting as he did so that it looked very much like a desecration and a robbing of the dead. To his great disappointment, however, he failed to discover anything which would give the slightest clue. It looked as if the man had purposely destroyed all such articles before destroying himself and after a thorough search Mickey was compelled to give up the hunt. Five chambers of the revolver, as has been said, were still loaded, and after replacing the caps the new owner was confident they were good for that number of shots. "'Here,' said he, handing the weapon to the boy, "'your rifle is gone, and you may as well take charge of this. It may come as handy as a shillelagh in a scrimmage, so you does hold on to the same.' Fred took it rather gingerly, for he did not fancy the idea of going off with property taken from a dead man, but he suffered his friend to persuade him, and the arrangement was made. In the belief that there might be others somewhere around, Mickey spent an hour or two longer in an exploration of the cave with the single purpose of looking for bodies. They approached the ravine in which Fred had dropped his gun. The Irishman leaped across, torch in hand, and prosecuted his search along that side, but they were compelled to give over after a time and conclude that only a single individual had preceded them in the cave. "'Where he came from must ever remain a mystery,' said Mickey. "'He hasn't been the kind of chaps you find in this part of the world, but whoever he was it must have been his luck to drop through the skylight just as we did.' He must have found the wood here and kindled a fire, and then he went tramping round looking for some place to find his way out and kept it up until he made up his mind it was no use. Then he acted like a gentleman who preferred to be shot to starving and finding nobody around to tend to the business, done it himself. 
Can we bury him, Mickey? He's buried already. The Irishman meant nothing especial in his reply, but there was a deep significance about it which sent a shudder through his hearer from head to foot. Yes, the stranger was buried, and in the same grave with him were Mickey O'Rooney and Fred Munson. The speaker saw the effect his words had produced, and attempted to remove their sting. "'It looks very much to me as if the man hadn't done anything but tramp, tramp, without trying any way of getting out, and then he had keeled over and give up.' Well, "'What could he do, Mickey? Couldn't they have jumped into the stream and made a dive? He stood a chance of coming up outside, and if he hadn't, he would have been as well off as he is now.' "'Is that what you mean to do?' I will before I give up as he did, but it's myself that thinks there's some other way of finding our way. Bring me gun along and come with me. Mickey carried the torch because he wished to use it himself. He led the way back to where the stream disappeared from view, and there he made another careful examination, his purpose being different from what it had been in the first place. He stooped over and peered at the dark walls, noting the width of the stream and the contour of the bank, as well as the level of the land on the right. Evidently he had some scheme which he was considering. He said nothing, but spent fully a half-hour in his self-imposed task, during which Fred stood in the background trying to make out what he was driving at. He saw that Mickey was so intensely occupied that he was scarcely conscious of the presence of anyone else and he did not attempt to disturb him. Suddenly the Celt roused himself from his abstraction, and turning to the expectant lad, abruptly asked, "'Do you know me, laddie, that it is dinner-time?' "'I feel as though it was, but we have no means of judging the time, being as neither of us carries a watch. "'Come on,' added the Irishman, leading in the direction of the campfire. I'm sorry I didn't bring my watch with me, but the trouble was I was afeard that it might tire out my horse, for it was of goodly size. The last time it got out of order it took a blacksmith in the old country nearly a week to mend it. It was rather large, but it would have been handy. Whenever we wanted to cook anything we could have used the case for a stew-pan, or we could have boiled eggs in the same, and when we started our hotel at New Boston it would have done for a gong. It was rather tiresome to wind up nights, as the key didn't give you much leverage, and if your hold happened to slip you was likely to fall down and hurt yourself, but here we are, as Jimmy O'Donovan said when he joined his father and mother in jail. End of chapter 29 Read by Thomas Rose